another episode of not just another murder i'm your host grace and i'm here with my husband kyle hello we're both um very awkward and nervous right now well i'm more nervous than he is but this is our very first halloween episode so happy halloween we're recording this on the first of october so hopefully this will be up by Tuesday, I'm hoping, right? I mean, I'm sure. So, yeah. Um, so, for each week in October, I'm going to be doing a Halloween centered episode. Um, and then from every week after that, for however long this podcast lasts, I'm planning on doing an episode a week from now on. I think Halloween is a good starting point to get that up and going, so. Yeah. I think this month I'm probably, I know my sister wants to do the episode where we talk about witches and the Salem witch trials. So I'm probably going to be doing that with her. And, yeah. Do you have anything to say? I mean, not right now at the moment, you know. Hopefully you'll be able to do that in the episode and then a couple more. I think you want to be on the episode where we talk about the uh, haunted attractions, like the craziest haunted attractions. Yeah. And I'm sure you can't wait to talk with me about McCamey Manor. Oh, every year. Every year, that's your little rabbit hole. I know. I just can't decide what I think of it. Like, if it's real or if I think or what. I don't know. I think we'll save that for the episode. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, So I guess we'll just get into our first little segment that I want to start with any guest that's on the show. And that's, Am I the Asshole? Where we judge strangers on the internet and determine if they are assholes or not the asshole. Are you ready? Yeah. These are some good ones. I always like these videos, so. These are Halloween related ones, though. Alright. So. Interesting. So our first one has been voted not the asshole by everybody in the Reddit thread. But, so here it is. Every year I go really big for Halloween and Christmas. My house is typically the most visited and talked about house in, the, in my big neighborhood. This year I added some new pieces to my Halloween display that include an incredibly scary butcher guy and his deli case full of body parts. I also have skeletons climbing all over the roof and a graveyard with a gravedigger guy and a headless horseman. I typically have people of all ages say how much they love it and how fun they think it is. This morning, some lady posted on Nextdoor about how horrifying and awful my display is and that it scared her toddler so much they cried. She went on a rant about how terrible of a person I must be to put such scary things in my yard in a family neighborhood. And I should respect others' fears and take it all down. I do it just for fun and because most people enjoy it. I'm not a depraved psychopath and do not advocate for serial killers, as this woman alluded to. I think if you're walking down the street with your kids and you see a house coming up that you think might freak them out, it's your job as a parent to either turn around and walk away or walk on the opposite side of the street and try not to let them see it up close. Not to stand right in front of it, take photos, and then put your neighborhood, your neighbor on blast on social media 
while your kids are crying and scared. So, am I the asshole? No. No? No, because that's literally my house going up. Oh, I can imagine. And you were li- the house. And literally, I, we did exactly that because there was... I don't know why, because they didn't really have that major of decorations compared to, like, different decorations compared to us. But there was this one house. I always remember this going trick-or-treating as a kid. The, there was this one house that just had, like, big red lights, like, going all up in the front of the house. And then just some guy, like, in a devil costume, like, not very much different than, like, the Hocus Pocus one of the one guy in Hocus Pocus with the devil costume on. And just blaring, scaring music. And, like, me and my brother did not want to go up the house. We we were like, we are going the opposite direction. Yeah, I definitely almost laughed. Well, the first time I read this, I definitely did laugh when she was talking about the toddlers being scared. They started to cry. I don't know, that's pretty fucking funny. Yeah, I know, because I was just nodding my head during that part, because I'm like, yeah, that's that's everything right there. This user said, those can be scary to my dog who goes nuts around one on my street. At least I think he's scared, starts barking, and tries to run in a circle around it. So they basically said, asshole. Mm-mm. But no, definitely not the asshole. Are you ready for the next one? Mm-hmm. Okay. It's opening. Okay, this one is called Am I the Asshole for Ruining Thousands of Kids Halloween and Not Feeling Bad About It? I live in a large neighborhood of about 90 houses. We are what's considered the rich neighborhood. So our neighborhood has always been a hot spot for trick-or-treaters. We used to get 700 to 7,000 kids, I'm sorry, 700 to 1,000 kids a year. I've always loved getting trick-or-treaters because my kids are teens now and don't trick-or-treat anymore. But in the last four years, it's gotten ridiculous. There's thousands of kids and their parents flooding the streets, people with hay in their Hay in their, it says rigs, so I don't know if they mean cars or if they meant to say wigs. But I'm thinking rigs. Carrying around kids, carrying kids around, trampling yards, littering candy wrappers everywhere, and the amount of small children walking around by themselves is is appalling. People from the neighborhood, the neighboring town of 30,000 people take their kids to my neighborhood. I was annoyed, but I never really did anything about it till about two years ago. My daughter tripped and broke her arm. We didn't think it was a break, but we wanted to go to the ER anyway to get it checked out. And there were so many people in our neighborhood we couldn't get out. There were cars everywhere lining the streets, parked in people's yards. It was horrible. We had to wait until everyone left about 1 a.m. to go to the hospital. My daughter had to wait in pain for hours. At that point, I was done. I contacted the neighborhood community and we managed to get some folks, cops mostly, to stand at the gate with a list and only let in certain people. If you want to get in, you had to be close to someone in the neighborhood. It was great. There were only about 300 kids in the neighborhood and after there was barely any trash and we're doing it again this year. I recently told my sister what I had done and she got really angry. When we were kids, we had to trick-or-treat in other neighborhoods because we lived in a trailer park with no other kids. She told me I was a horrible person for ruining thousands of kids' Halloween. But honestly, I'm not too broken up about it. It was a hazard. If there was a fire or an emergency, no one would be able to get in to help. When I was a kid, there were never any cars lining the streets. The residences could get in and out if they wanted to. It was never dangerous. I don't think I'm in the wrong. But I've always respected my sister's opinion. Am I the asshole? Mm-hmm. 
This one's a little bit harder. What do you think? No. Only because, like, he's not, like, it's one of those things where if he was like, there's no trick-or-treating in this neighborhood at all, he's just basically making it so it's more localized and a lot more safer, I would say. See, I'm going with asshole. I think that's pretty shitty. Because if he lives in an area where, like, maybe it's dangerous for kids to go trick-or-treating in their own neighborhood, so they come to the rich neighborhoods because they're safer. So, yeah, there might be a lot of kids, but also their kids walking around unattended, which... The parents should be watching them, but they're kids. And I think it would be a better idea to, like, instead of stopping them, have, like, if they're in a gated community, like, like it said in here, only certain people could get in. Mm -hmm. So I'm assuming they have a gate on. I think that was mentioned in here. But only allowing them in if they have parental supervision. Well, yeah. I don't know, part of me feels like it's not just him, though. Like, he might have the story, like, centered around him, because, of course, it's what he went through. But I have a feeling that maybe other people in that neighborhood were having similar issues with people that weren't around there. And so that's why they all came together and agreed to do it the way they're doing it now. Like I said, I feel like it's not... Like, for for the question of is he or is he not the asshole, I don't think he's the... that he's the asshole. Maybe a group of people in that neighborhood might be. But it's not just... Like, it wasn't just him, like, talking to random cops, being like, yo, block this neighborhood off for us during trick-or-treating hours. Like, there had to be a committee of people that made that decision and put it together. Yeah, he said he went to... Um... They got a group of people together. Yeah, that's why, that, that's why I'm saying that he's, he's not the asshole. Maybe that committee might be. Because I don't know what all their reasons are for doing this new rules, whatever. Is there a consensus? Um, it's not the asshole is the consensus okay. of everyone. Trying to find somebody made a really good point, and I'm trying to find it in here. Well, we can edit this, so okay. I can't find it. Most of the people are talking about the secu- the uh, safety issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, one user said that it's um, the safety issue should be on the neighborhood, assuming you have an HOA. Mm-hmm. The HOA should have had something in place for trick-or-treating.
Somebody definitely made a good point, but I can't find it. Did you upload it? People are saying that it's uh, the kids don't have a right to go trick-or-treating in the rich neighborhoods or whatever. And then people are saying, like, it's probably a safety thing for them, too, because it's safer to go trick-or-treating in the... I think the person that made the comment about the kids not having the right that 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 he might be the asshole <laughs> yeah seriously but then that makes the guy who's doing all this an asshole too like i think it could have been handled better i think asshole i have to disagree with you well fine i mean okay here's the last one this one's titled, Am I the Asshole for Getting Upset at My Wife's Halloween Costume? Some friends had a Halloween party last Saturday. This is from three years ago, by the way. So this is like a, a vintage one. Because normally they like take these down after a while. Or people take them down. or I don't know if the people on reddit take it down or whatever but it's kind of rare to see one this old i guess but okay so there were about 12 to 14 people i was unable to go due to having to travel for work unexpectedly my wife wanted to go as slave leia i was fine with that she was also getting a ride from another friend so i wor wasn't worried about her driving drunk etc Sunday, I get a text from a friend that near the end of the night she was pretty drunk and it became apparent that she wasn't wearing anything under her costume. And for the last hour, her butt slash labia were basically on full display as the skirt part got a bit twisted. He apologized for not telling her to get her to fix it, but he was nervous to say anything and hoped someone else would say something so no one would. Also note, by this point, the other women we had left had left with their significant others, and she was waiting on her ride home. I confronted her about it, admittedly yelling, and she says she couldn't find the matching undies. It's no big deal, and it's Halloween, so sexy costumes are expected. She also said that she didn't do it on purpose, so am I the asshole here? Alright, so who's asking if they're the asshole? The husband or the friend? Her husband. Is he the asshole for getting upset about his wife's Halloween costume? Like what happened at the party? I think an asshole? I would say asshole too, definitely. But I don't think he's the only asshole. Well, because this is a weird one because, I mean, she probably should have been wearing underwear. Mm -hmm. Like, I know she said she's going to find the matching one, but, like, you could still put something on. <laughs> like, but I do think that someone should have said something at the party or something also. Yeah, like, for sure. There's a lot of moving parts in this one. So this one says, this comment says, Personally, his friend is the biggest asshole. Yeah. Why was it too hard for him to tell the wife, Hey, sorry, you might want to fix your outfit. But not too hard for him to tell on her to her husband. What the fuck? Is she a kept woman? Is she a child? What on earth compelled that man to not say anything to the woman with the problem but then tell on her like she's a misbehaving child. 
That being said, ooh, going commando with no fabric between your crotch and potential furniture is really unsanitary. <laughs> Yeah. Which I mean, what whatever. Yeah, I mean, like basically, I mean, yeah, because basically the friends the biggest one, and then of course the husband. Now, granted, I we don't know if the husband like yelled at her well we actually I think the last little bit there was him basically yelling at her and she was explaining what happened basically so yeah. I mean this comment is giving me very like the ick okay this says here's the deal with alcohol you are responsible for everything you do while under the influence saying I was drunk is never a valid excuse you choose to drink you are responsible for your actions with that in mind, what I read here is that while you were out of town, your wife chose to go to a party with old friends and display herself naked to them. First of all, she was not naked. If that wouldn't be okay, that wouldn't be okay if she were sober. It's also not okay when she's drunk. Not wearing panties, a choice made while sober, so not on purpose. While wearing a very skimpy outfit is choosing to expose oneself. If you're not ready to already comfortably part of that be part of that lifestyle, then that's a problem. Though flashing people is not legal, I would say it's still a problem to choose to involve others in your own sexual lifestyle. This is giving very much slut shaming. That just give gave me the ick, that whole comment. I mean, like I said, the only thing, like, with the wife is, is that she probably should have been wearing some underwear of some sort. I mean, sure, but still. I mean, I mean, I wouldn't wear it like that or any of that. Like, that, that is very ick. But, I mean, that, that, that's my stance, at least on the, the wife's side of the whole thing. Is that she probably should have worn something... Even if it wasn't matching. At least going out to a public event like she did. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I'm not seeing OP responding to anything. That's probably why it's still up. Okay, wait. Because I think half the time the OPs just take the stuff down when... They don't. Either they get told that they're the assholes, so they take it down because they don't like what people are saying. Yeah, okay, this other guy that I was saying I got the ick from is commenting more. And oh basically boy. saying she made the choice to reveal herself to those people. I don't know, his comments are giving me a major ick. But do you want to know what this is uh, rated? What this... What yeah. the final consensus is, everyone sucks. Yeah. I mean, that's basically what I was saying. I feel like the the friend's the biggest asshole for, like, not doing anything at the party and then not telling, and then just telling the husband. And then, of course, the husband's the asshole for getting angry at the wife and not, and at least not, like, having a civil conversation about it, it seems like, because she sounds very... Much like she's trying to defend herself with her remarks about why the party mm -hmm. went the way it did instead of just explaining everything calmly. I think every, honestly, I think everyone but her is the asshole. I mean, like I said, she's not the asshole, but like I said, she probably should have at least worn something. Here's the thing. My thought is... She chose not to wear underwear, sure. Mm -hmm. What she probably didn't think was going to happen is getting as drunk as she did. I mean, yeah. That's... And when you're, like, blitzed... No, no, no. Like... Like I said, I have no issues with what the wife mm -hmm. did during the whole thing. I'm just saying that it could have been something easily prevented. Yeah. If she wore underwear. For sure. But 
I'm not like slut shaming her or anything. I'm just no. I don't think you are. No. But I think that guy and everyone else at that party should have been like, "Hey, this is going on. You don't realize because you're drunk, and maybe it's time for you to go home before things you embarrass things end up on the internet or like you wake up the next day and realize you've really embarrassed yourself." I just, I mean, Grant, did they mention, like, how big of a party it was, or, like, what 12 to 14 people. That's okay, not so, a huge party. No, okay. Because I, I was thinking that it was, like, a decent-sized party, but it sounds like it is it's just, not like... not like a frat party. Right? No, it, it sounds like it's just, like, a friends and family type party. I hope it wasn't family. Well, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, yeah. A more close-knit group of people instead of just, like... A handful of people inside a major like club or something. Okay, are you ready to get into some vampires? Okay. So, first we're going to be talking about Vlad the Impaler. I'm sure you're super psyched. Woo. After hearing about him so much this week from our little Netflix documentary we watched. Oh, yeah. So... You may think that the character Dracula came entirely from the imagination of Bram Stoker, but that's not at all the case. In fact, historians are almost certain Stoker got his inspiration from an equally, if not more terrifying ruler of Transylvania, a man known as Vlad Dracula, or Vlad the Impaler. The real Dracula was a ruthless, courageous warlord known to impale his victims on spikes and terrify his enemies, among other horrifying deeds. Yeah. So. <laughs> that happened. Yeah. Anyway. Vlad Dracula, as we will call him throughout the rest of this podcast, was born sometime between 1428 and 1431. But it's hard to pinpoint exactly when historical, as historical records weren't as prominent in the 13th century as they are today. He was born in an area called Wallachia in present-day Romania. Dracula's father was Vlad II, who earned the name Dracul after he joined the Order of the Dragon, a crusading Christian order. Dracul literally translates to dragon. Vlad had two brothers, Mirsal and Radu. I'm not exactly how to pronounce the first brother's name. But I think it's like Mirsal. Because Romanian, although I think Romanian is a really pretty language, how it's spelled, like phonetically, is not how it's pronounced. Yeah. Dracula was born into war. His land was constantly at war between Christian Europe and the Muslim Ottoman Empire. When Dracula was a young boy, Vlad II was called to a diplomatic meeting between meeting by the Ottomans. He decided to take his young sons, Dracula and Radu, to teach them about diplomacy. But it seemed this meeting was a trap to capture Vlad. He and his two sons were held hostage only to be released if Vlad II agreed to leave Radu and Dracula behind. Are you crying? <laughs> like, what? Deciding that this would be the best way to keep his family safe, Vlad II agreed. Dracula and his brother were sent to school under the Ottomans and learned science, philosophy, and the art of war. But it wasn't all rainbows, as it's rumored that they may have suffered from torture and abuse while in the care of the Ottomans, which may have given Dracula his inclination towards his horrible torture methods. Back at home, a group of warlords had overthrown Dracula's father, and he was killed along with Dracula's oldest brother, which was Mirsal. Upon hearing of Vlad II's death, Dracula and Radu were released. While Radu elected to stay under Ottoman rule, Dracula returned to Wallachia, assuming the name of Vlad Dracula. Dracula meaning son of the dragon, which I think is pretty badass. 
He's like, I'm my father's son. And I'm going to get his throne back. Dracula would try for almost a decade to take back his father's throne, succeeding on two separate occasions. It's said that Dracula personally beheaded the man who stole his father's throne in battle. Once Dracula took back full control of his father's throne, he ruled it with an iron fist. Uprisings began in the villages where some believed the previous leader was better than Dracula. Dracula knew exactly how to deal with those who doubted him. He invited his opposition to a banquet where he had them stabbed and impaled on spikes. Dracula's rule over his people was so ironclad that a legend arose that a goblet was put in the center of town with fresh water for everyone to drink from, and that it could never be taken from its place. His people feared him so much that the goblet, like, never moved from the center of town. Like, they were so afraid to, like, do anything that it, like, stayed there during his entire rule. You're like, boy. No. Okay. Following one of the many battles for his land, Dracula cut off every nose of the Ottomans he had killed and sent them to the Sultan. I got your nose. Literally, right? I think, I don't think it was the Sultan, though, because I think in the documentary he took them to the King of Hungary to, like, as proof that he could, like, win great battles. Okay. Just kind of show him, like, here are my trophies. The Sultan, Mehmed II, was himself known for his brutality and cruelty, but even he feared Dracula's terror. On one occasion, which I think you saw in the documentary we watched on Netflix, um, he had, um, like... The Sultan's court mm-hmm. come to the castle yeah. to try to come to like some sort of peace agreement, and when they wouldn't take off their hats, he had his people nail their hats to their heads for dis- for basically disrespecting him. If you don't quit yawning. Oh my god. Listen, it's been a long day. I've had coffee today and so much sugar. Like, I'm awake. You know what I haven't had? Coffee and lots of sugar. Okay, well. During his reign, Dracula built many fortresses to protect his land. One of those fortresses bordered the Ottoman-controlled lands. Anticipating an Ottoman attack... Dracula built a forest of impaled enemies to ward off the attackers. I don't think I've quite mentioned what impalement is for those who don't know, but basically a sharpened stake would be inserted through the rectum or vagina of a victim and stood upright so that the sharpened end would slowly penetrate the organs and eventually poke through the chest, head, or neck of the victim. Sometimes the pole would be rounded instead of sharpened, so that it would go even slower and people would suffer even longer. So sweet dreams. <laughs> no one thinks that's a cannibal holocaust poster. Well, I mean, I don't know what that is, but. You don't know cannibal holocaust. Mm-mm. It's like one of the most. Like, banned movies. Ever. Look, I like the real thing. I like learning about the real history. I mean, real animals were harmed. Which is why it was banned. R.I.P. Turtle. Okay, well. Sit back, relax, listen to the rest of the story. When the Ottoman forces came upon the scene of the forest of impaled men and women, they retreated in fear. This image is the biggest contributor to the myth and lore that Dracula was somewhat of a vampire. Stories began to come out that the Wallachian ruler would have a feast surrounded by his impaled enemies. Rumors spread that he would dip his bread in a bowl filled with their blood and eat it. 
Dracula's reign of blood and torture ended in six in fourteen sixty two. Man, if it ended in sixteen something, he would have lived a long fucking time. But fourteen sixty two, when he was taken prisoner by Hungarian forces who wanted to replace Dracula with his brother Radu. In fourteen seventy six, Dracula was released and married Justina, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce her last name. Yeah. Justina. Yeah, no, I'm not even going to try. That's, yeah. Which was arranged by the king of Hungary, who promised to help restore Dracula's throne, fearing the Ottoman advances to take over Wallachia. During his reign, after marrying, a rumor spread that during battle in which Ottoman forces were advancing on the castle, Justina, fearing imprisonment or death, flung herself from the tower and into the Arches River. It said that she wrote, I would rather feed the fishes than die at the hands of the Ottomans. But there's no evidence that she actually ever did that. So the Dracula movie lied to us. Well, in the documentary. That's true, they did show it in the documentary, didn't they? Yeah. But no, there's no like actual proof that, that happened. Interesting. But it was the 1400s, and if you don't quit yawning, damn. I'm trying not to make it obvious. Here you are calling me out. <laughs> okay, well, anywho. Just wait. The story's only getting better. Dracula fought for his land his entire adult life. When he finally met his fate, he was beheaded, and it said his head was taken to Constantinople and paraded through the streets. Sadly, his homeland was taken over by the Ottoman Empire. And his brother took the throne, and it became Ottoman ruled territory instead of like Christian territory. Dracula's body Dracula was Dracula's body was buried at the monastery of Snegov. I think that's how you say it. However, in nineteen thirty three, the monastery was excavated. And in the tomb of Vlad Dracula was not Dracula. Instead, all they found were the jawbones of horses. To this day, Dracula's real tomb has never been found. So what you're saying is is that Dracula is Jesus. We're talking about vampires. Dracula is not Jesus. That's literally the story of Jesus on Easter. He opened the tomb and he's gone. Sure. Yeah. Yep, Dracula is Jesus. Listen. Vampire Jesus. I have heard that story so many times growing up. I know it by heart. All right. I know the similarities when I see them. <laughs> okay. Well. Hold on. To this day, Dracula is revered in his homeland of Romania as a victorious and courageous hero by the people there. However, as of this year, Notes that Dracula wrote were examined and fibers and proteins taken from them. And guess what they found? What? Dracula, the real Dracula, had a condition that made him cry tears of blood. You want me to read you the article? Sure. The Ars Technica article says, Scientists find evidence that Vlad the Impaler shed bloody tears. Let me get to it. Because it goes on about his, um, his life and then we get to... Okay. 
Hoping to learn more about Vlad the gen- and, the ger- and the general environment in which he lived, the authors of a new study turned to three letters written by Vlad Dracula addressed to the rulers of the city of Sibiu. 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 Okay, I don't... The third... Um, the first two were written in 1475, one of which includes Vlad's personal signature. Those letters have been stored in the Sibiu archives for more than 500 years and were never subjected to any kind of restoration efforts. The third letter was written in 1457 and was restored in Bucharest, Bucharest in the 20th century. Although the authors state that the process was carried out in such a way as to minimize any biological or chemical contamination of the document. One of the letters from 1475 contained three peptides, specifically associated with proteins of the eyes, retina, and tears. The authors thus concluded that Vlad III, or Vlad the Impaler, may have suffered from a medical condition known as hemolacria, in which a person sheds tears of blood as well as skin inflammation and respiratory illness. He may have also been exposed to plague-related bacteria or fruit flies and other pests based on the non-human peptides animal. So yeah, Dracula may have bled bloody tears. Nice. Cried bloody tears. Okay, put a pause to it. Another so-called vampire who has a small connection to the real Dracula is Elizabeth Bathory. Elizabeth Bathory, or Elizabeth Bathory, as it's pronounced in Hungarian, was born in 1560 into aristocracy. Her last name literally translates to brave hero or something like that because her family, way, way back, was said to have defeated a dragon that was like roaming and terrorizing the villages. So they named, they gave her the name Battery because it literally translates to hero. (laughs) God. Okay. Just need your full attention. Okay. Her father was brothers with the Voivode of Transylvania, which Voivode is basically like the highest ruling general you can be. And her mother was second cousins to her father. Mm. Yeah. Very common back then. As a child, she suffered from seizures and severe mood changes, likely due to the fact that her parents were related. In fact... The Bathory's notoriously interbred, so much that members of the family began to develop disfigurements, most notably a pronounced chin. So, like in the paintings I saw, their face was normal and their chin, like, stuck out, like, so far. Yeah. (laughs) Like, I don't mean to laugh, but, like, maybe stop fucking your relatives. Maybe. So in the 17th century, a common treatment for epilepsy was to rub the blood of others on the lips of the epileptic patient. And it was highly likely that this treatment was used in Elizabeth's care. This treatment was what most likely led to the long-standing legend that as an adult, Elizabeth Bathory bathed in the blood of virgins. Despite her epilepsy and other disabilities, Elizabeth became fluent in three languages and was highly educated. 
During her adolescence, it's said she was introduced to orgies and people who thought themselves witches or sorcerers by her, I believe it was her aunt. Forget what her aunt's name is, but it begins with a C. Okay. Like Circe or something or Cecil or something like that. At the age of 15, Elizabeth married Ferenc Nadasti. More like Ferenc Dynasty. <laughs> in a politically arranged marriage. The marriage would ensure land ownership in both Hungary and Transylvania, as the Bathories had higher social status at the time. So basically, he married her to gain higher social status. Yeah. Interestingly, Elizabeth kept her family name of Bathory, which at the time was extremely rare. I think this speaks to Elizabeth's education and her independent and strong-minded nature. But that's just me. As a wedding present, Ferenc gave Elizabeth his castle in the Carpathians. Castle Suggestis? I don't fucking know. I don't know how to pronounce this fucking castle. Complete with a brand new torture chamber. As newlyweds, the couple settled and had four children. Along with raising a family, the couple also experimented with torture methods. Hashtag just newlywed things. That's what I put in my notes. <laughs> it said that Farring tied up a servant, lathered her with honey, and allowed insects to devour her. Farring also gifted Elizabeth a pair of. It seemed that they were like gloves, but they were ma- they were made of bear claws. So that she could tear the flesh from her servants who had displeased her. So she could basically like, you know, take her bare paw and like slash their faces with it. You. Oh, it gets worse. During wartime, Elizabeth oversaw her husband's lands and all of his business affairs. She was mostly successful at this task and enjoyed it. The couple became so wealthy during this time that they were able to lend money to the Hungarian Habsburg Empire to keep the economy afloat. So they were literally able to lend enough to, like, keep the whole Hungarian Empire running. Mm -hmm. Oh my god, I've lost my face. My spot. In 1601, the couple invited Anna Darulia. I love saying her name because it sounds evil, and she was evil, (laughs) into their household. Anna was rumored to be a witch, and during this time it's said that Elizabeth's personality had taken a dark turn. Under Elizabeth's supervision, many peasant girls met their fate, only raising the eyebrows of one priest, who after being threatened by the affluent family, didn't raise any further alarm. In 1604, Ferenc Nadasti died of illness due to a paralysis of his legs. Paralysis may be caused by witchcraft? We don't know. But after his death, he basically, or before his death, he had basically lost complete function of his legs. So he couldn't walk, couldn't do anything. This left Elizabeth to care for her husband's affairs on her own, along with a man named Georgi Torzo. I don't know if that's actually how to pronounce it, but it sounds like that's what it would be. Whom Ferenc had entrusted with the care of his wife. Between 1602 and 1604, rumors of Elizabeth's cruelty began to spread throughout her land. After her husband's death, she moved to Katis Castle, where it said her violence increased. As was common at the time, Bathory employed young girls from the surrounding villages to be in her court and to serve her. The stress of her husband's death and the responsibility of seeing over her husband's lands made Elizabeth's sadistic habits go from hobby to full-time job. Together with Anna Darvulia and other accomplices, Elizabeth tortured many of the girls from the surrounding villages. For missing a stitch in her dress, Elizabeth would stab the girls with hot sewing needles. 
Her methods of torture slowly ramped from chopping off her servants' fingers to ripping their flesh with her teeth and forcing her servants to cannibalize each other. In one story, Elizabeth bit off the breast of one of the servant girls and forced the girl to cook it and eat it. Excuse me? Yeah. She chewed off her breast and said, get in the kitchen, cook that up, and eat it. Mm, don't like that. Mm-mm. Despite rumors flowing of Elizabeth's cruelty and the deaths of her servants mounting, families would still send their children to Elizabeth as a means to gain financial stability. So these people were so poor that they're like, I know girls have been disappearing, but we really need to pay rent. So off to Elizabeth they went. In 1609, Anna Garvulia died of a stroke, and Elizabeth became depressed and lonely. Throughout the centuries, rumors have circulated that Anna and Elizabeth were lovers, but nothing concrete has ever proved this. Elizabeth began recruiting the daughters of other noblemen to her castle after Anna's death. She believed that taking the lives of the noblemen's children would turn her luck around. So she started a cover business of a finishing school. The daughters of these affluent families would be sent to Elizabeth's court to learn etiquette, how to behave in the court, and other and how to behave in the court of other affluent families and, lo- and royalty. Elizabeth enacted innumerable torture methods on these young women. She would freeze and starve them, bite their flesh off, beat them, and disfigure them. On many occasions, she would use hot items made of metal to brand the girl's genitals, leaving historians to believe her crimes were sexually motivated. As a young as young noblewomen began disappearing, their wealthy parents began to suspect Elizabeth, with some going to King Matthias II for help. If you remember, King Matthias was the same king that Dracula went to to get help in defeating the Ottomans. So there's a little bit of a connection here. The king instructed Jordi Torzo to investigate. Even though Torzo promised to care for Elizabeth, his loyalty to the king was stronger, and he began to question the peasants and servants in Elizabeth's court. All the young girls gave their account, but it wasn't until Torzo came upon Elizabeth torturing a young girl while another lay in wait, with Elizabeth covered in the girl's blood, that anything was done. Elizabeth's family wanted physical proof that she was guilty of these crimes, so they turned to her diary where they found absolutely no mention of her torturous ways. So she wasn't writing about them in her diary. But the rumor had already spread, and the jury of public opinion had already condemned her. Torzo vowed to keep his promise, and convinced the court to convict Elizabeth without the embarrassment to her family of a trial. Elizabeth Bathory spent her days in her castle in solitary confinement for the remainder of her life. It's said the blood countess took as many as 650 girls' lives. 100 years after her death, the son of one of her victims wrote a sensationalized record of her life, including the little tidbit about the Countess bathing in blood and drinking the blood of virgins to preserve her youth and beauty. Sadly, historians now believe Elizabeth Bathory may not have been a bloodthirsty fiend, but possibly a woman blamed for the acts of men. If you remember, Elizabeth and her husband, Farring, had loaned the Habsburg family money to keep, the Hungary's, econo- to keep Hungary's economy afloat. Yeah. Remember I said that? Historians now believe that after rumors began that Elizabeth was torturing and killing young girl young girls and Giorgi Torzo coming to them for help, the king and the Habsburgs hatched a plan to take in to take the Bathory family down. When it came to the testimony given by the peasants and servants, none of the stories that they none of their testimonies had come from eyewitness accounts. Meaning that they only heard these rumors from like a friend of a friend. That kind of thing. So no one that they interviewed actually saw 
back Elizabeth do anything. Hmm. They just heard rumors, and it was taken as fact. Mm-mm. Once Elizabeth was arrested, the debts to to her family were canceled, meaning the king owed her family nothing for their loan agreement. Okay. So he wouldn't have to pay them back for the loan that they gave the the hungry to sustain their economy. Still, as many as 50 to 60 young girls perished under Elizabeth's care. So was Elizabeth Bathory indeed a countess of blood or a victim of political conspiracy? We don't know, and we will probably never know. Because this was 500 years ago, 400 years ago. That's true. But you're tired. <laughs> yeah, because it's 1 a.m. I mean, yeah, that's the story of Vlad the Impaler and Elizabeth Bathory. So, what do you think of these real-life vampires? And is there anything you want to add no, the, honestly, the second story was more interesting than the Vlad story. Yeah. Probably because it's less known. Yeah. And a little more gruesome. It is, yeah. Yeah, because I feel like we're definitely, like, we've heard Dracula so much that, like, most people know. Well, that and a lot of his stuff was like political. Yeah. Like war stuff. Yeah. It's hard to follow. Like when I was reading articles and stuff, like it's really hard to follow. Like I was telling you the other day, like who was in political alliance with who and at mm. what time and yeah. And while there was some of that in Elizabeth's story, it's... More so everything that happened <clears throat> within her castle and what she did to, like, her people. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think it's very possible that she was just a victim in a political conspiracy. <coughs> You know what movie you should probably watch? Hmm. The Last Duel. We've watched that. (coughs) No. Yes, we have. No, because I saw it in theaters by myself. And then I had the 4K Blu-ray, but we haven't watched it. I swear we have. Maybe you watched it off of, like, Netflix or something. I don't know. All I gotta say, they need to make a vampire movie. About Elizabeth. I'm surprised there isn't one. I mean, I'm I'm sure there's something. Like, loosely based on her story. Yeah, but nothing's... But I need something sick. Yeah, I mean, at least to my knowledge, nothing's ringing a bell of something similarly told. Oh my god, where's my... Oh, my phone's up there, but... So, I've been following a lot of, um, well, joining a lot of groups on Facebook that are, like, oddities and curiosities. Yeah. And today, I saw one of a tarantula that had a parasite that they preserved. Uh It's disgusting. Nope. But there are, like, speaking of vampires, I really want to get, a lot of people have bats like wet specimens or like mummified or like taxidermy. Yeah. And I really want to get a bat. I saw one that was really cool that I want to buy. It's $40. You're, you're going to have to find a place to put it that cats can't get to. I'm going to put it on the wall. It's like a hanging thing. Oh, okay. It's like a shadow box. Oh, okay, okay, okay. 
I know if it was like that or if it was like those, uh, <coughs> I don't know if you remember, but I showed, I sent you a picture from Target in their dollar section of like the Beatles. I mean, it's kind of like that, but I mean, it's not to where the cats can get it. Mm, okay. It's not like that. Oh, what else was there that I wanted to get? Oh, like um, preserved butterflies and stuff. Oh, Those okay. are pretty cool. Like different moths. Yeah, I can't remember. I really want to get a like a a cow skull or a horse skull, and make like a. I think it'd be cool for the podcast set too mm. but make like put it on a black like background like maybe like an wood oval or something and mount it on there and then do like a bouquet of flowers out of it i think it would just look really cool i'm trying to remember was it the field museum that probably had an exhibit like that <coughs> probably like around their mummy section mm-hmm. i think they had a bunch of cases full of like bugs and I just want to see something real sick on here. Well, Zuckerberg might keep you away from that. I doubt it, because there's some pretty gross stuff. But yeah, we should probably end it and go to bed. Okay. Bye, everyone. See you next time. Thank you, as always, for listening to this episode of Not Just Another Murder. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Not Just Another Murder Pod. That's Not Just Another Murder Pod.